sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy, and special treat for you today, I've got Dan jumping on this one with me. Dan, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to be here, and especially to meet the, today's guest. Yeah, you only jump on with the big ones, don't you? That's that as everyone knows. So uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, but yes, we have YouTuber, author, retired F-16 pilot, father, among many other things. I have Chris Leto on the pod with us today. Chris, how are we? Yeah, excellent. Great to be here. Is it, is it Leto or Leto? I don't really know how to say it perfectly. I think it's Leto is the, the Finnish pronunciation, but I guess Leto... Either or works, yeah, and that's fine, yeah. I mean, that's like me. I, I still don't know. My surname's McGrillan, which even me saying that on the podcast, <laughs> most listeners still wouldn't have understood what I've just said. But I don't know if it's M, small c, capital G, or M, then all the small letters. So if anyone out there knows, people will get in touch with me. That would be great. If you could like, tell me <laughs> how to spell my surname after 35 years, it'd be fantastic. Um, but listen, Chris, uh, you are someone who, it just seems, especially in the last kind of six months or so, uh, has become really prominent in the UFO, UAP community for all sorts of reasons. Um, you are going to be on Ryan Sprague's podcast in the coming days or week or if you're listening to this in the future it's been go and check that one out we're friends with ryan sprague somewhere in the skies and uh yeah ryan's introduced you as being on his podcast as almost a rebuttal to his previous guest that was mick west we are not going to try and make this a conversation all about mick and his his crazy theories and stuff we're going to focus on you and people finding out about yourself chris um always like to start off by asking a little bit about your early life and your background and kind of what got you to the point of, of joining the military and getting to what you do now. Uh, sorry, I have Discord. I'll break right here. Uh, let me turn off my Discord. Sorry, man. No, you're okay. Don't worry. Could you hear it? Like the beeping? I heard it. Uh, okay, I'll just, uh, I'll just or, answer it. Or listen, Chris, we could leave this bit in and we could say, is that Discord part of your Patreon service that people can access? Yeah. That, yeah, the Discord, well, it is, right? I, I meant to give some better benefit to Patreons, um, but I think I'll just talk to the Patreons. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how best to uh, to reward Patreons or make it make it worth their while. And then, because I'm gaining a huge amount of value just in feedback, support, you know, just even the, the financial support helps just, just cover all the monthly costs, you know, that you end up 
you end up incurring. Um, so I don't know. We may just open it up. I, I like Discord because I think it's very it's usable. You know, you can use it for teams, uh, especially working online. It's just so more, it's just so usable. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good so platform. Anyway. <laughs> we've, we've got it for the podcast as well. So we'll leave that bit in and we'll put uh, Chris's links for his Patreon and stuff within the show description, folks, too. And you're going to find out a lot about Chris in the next uh, hour, hour and a half, however long it may be. So yeah, Chris, early life. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, Houston. My parents actually, um, you know, they, in the Vietnam War, so they were they were against the war in Vietnam, actually. Uh, conscientious objector was my dad, and though he was in um, university, grew up in the Northeast, and they moved out to New Mexico and, like, lived out, you know, in, like, a commune or something. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but basically, uh, they lived out uh, in New Mexico, and that's where I was born, like, in an adobe house. Um, and then at two years old, I think they were like, all right, we need to, to do like a real regular life or something, uh, provide for our kids. And so they moved to Houston. That was like the boom town. Houston was exploding. They had all these, these new, uh, uh, Astrodome. They had all these giant facilities, sports teams. It was when NASA was, was big. Uh, so they moved there and my mom worked for IBM, ended up having a, a long career, uh, with IBM. My dad set up computers, like small computer, uh, systems essentially, but then windows came and basically, you know, kind of took over the market. Um, so I grew up just in suburbia of Houston, you know, did played sports, played, um, you know, soccer, tennis, um, and running. And then it was all about grades in my family, you know, basically you had to, you had to get, I got all A's, so you're going to get all A's, you know? Um, but with that being said, if I got, if I did get all A's, uh, and played the sports, you know, I had, you know, free reign or well, not free reign, but, uh, at least I could, I, you know, I, I had a very, uh, I would almost call it, you know, privileged, if you will, um, life, um, which is, is hard to fathom when you get to a point and you're, and you, and you have, you know, everything's still difficult, but everything's provided, uh, but you're still not really happy. You know, <laughs> you're not, yeah. you're not happy with the future that is, is laid out. Uh, and not that the, my parents were, you know, were, you know, liberal household, we can free thinking was, was, you know, a, a must <laughs> exactly, uh, using your brain. Um, and so, Basically, uh, I got to that point where I, I just want a different path in my life, um, get some discipline in my life. And then this guy in my physics class, he basically talked about the Air Force Academy, explained it to me throughout throughout the year. And finally, I just applied and uh, and, and then went, actually. They let me in. Uh, went to the Air Force Academy. It was it was amazing, actually. Amazing experience. You know, um, anybody that it's just so difficult, anybody that goes and can make it through, it's just, just mentally stronger. Um, so really, anyone that... that you have to be crazy enough just to choose to make it through, you know, but, but once, once they do that, or, or for whatever reasons are motivated, um, you, you know, you do end up a different, um, person at the end. Uh, I think in a lot of ways better, you know, but didn't have a normal college experience. You know, you're basically, I'm, I met a lot of my friends on the tour pad. It's basically when you get in trouble. Uh, if you miss, if you're 10 minutes late or something for a class, you have to spend that the next weekend, essentially marching, uh, back and forth with a plastic rifle, uh, 11 hours actually. <laughs> so there's some just crazy, uh, punishments, et cetera. Uh, but met, met some amazing people there that the NFT guy I was talking, talking you, with you about. He, he, he actually, my buddy, Jimmy, he actually was from the Air Force Academy, met him there. Um, so just met amazing people. And then by the end, um, one of the benefits of going to the Air Force Academy is you can, you have a, almost a free ticket into pilot training, not a free ticket. Um, but they, they do use those slots first. Um, really, because it's the most expensive, 
you know, for the government. So if you want to be a pilot um, and you graduate from the Air Force Academy, you you don't have a guaranteed slot, but you have a very high chance. Um, so from there, I went to pilot training. Um, and I grew up actually just playing video games all the time, <laughs> which helped a lot. I was like a side video game addict. You know, I know all the, like Doom with my buddy on, on the internet. Somehow he was able to set up Doom. Uh, Jay Abney, actually, he he, he made a company, uh, he makes a game, uh, Gods of Olympus, amazing game now. Um, but back in the day, we were playing Doom, just linked up over, you know, the internet before there was an internet, you know, essentially. Um, so playing video games helped me and helped me through pilot training. Um and yeah, I was, uh, was able to uh, succeed at pilot training uh, and got a F-16 slot. Which, is, which is pretty cool to be flying any kind of plane aircraft, let alone a, an F-16. Um, and in between that as well, now, did you have any interest in UFOs or UAPs, aliens like that growing up? Or was that something that's kind of came later in life? I mean, literally zero, you know, I mean, zero. I... I Looked into nothing. I considered it all, you know, essentially just fake or, you know, um, disingenuine. Yeah. You know, because I, I really, I, I went in, when I went into the Air Force Academy, um, actually, I, I really liked chemistry. I grew up uh, at, my, at my high school. I really liked chemistry. Um, I just, I, I remember as a young kid being told by many of the people around me, you know, it's, it's kind of a religious Methodist area I grew up in. Um, just as a kid, you know, you're like laying in bed at your first sleepover, you know, and the guy's like, you know, you don't believe in God? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, you're going to go to hell, you know? <laughs> and I, I just remember that from a very uh, uh, early, early age. Uh, and, it, and it keeps, you get you just keep getting reminded of that, like, constantly. You know, everybody, God bless you. I mean, everything, you know, if you're not religious, it's difficult to understand growing up in a, in a religious um, society, you know? And I really feel like, you know, I say I was oppressed uh, and people maybe laugh about that, you know? But I think it is. I think it's definitely oppression of thought. Um, and so at, at any rate, I always felt a need to find out the truth. You know, I was like, you know, am I really surrounded by all these people who can see these, say they see these things that are invisible? <laughs> you know, I, I, I realistically thought they were just all crazy, like literally insane. But if you think everyone else is insane, then it, chances are it's you that actually is insane. You know, like <laughs> if there's not an asshole in the room, chances are it's you, you know? So, <laughs> I, and so I didn't. Yeah, I, I was just very interested in finding the truth, uh, and so that's what what drew me to chemistry and and uh, and physics would have also been. I, I think if I had to do it over again, I probably would have picked um, something more leaning towards physics because I actually was a material scientist, uh, which was a degree which is combines chemistry and physics um, kind of together. Uh, you know, that's where your materials kind of kind of uh, meet, I guess. Um, and so that's what really drew me to that. If I had to do it again, I may lean more towards the physics, you know, knowing what I, knowing what I know now, but chemistry is also very, very handy. And I took a lot of biology classes, you know, biochemistry, um, you know, all those classes are just mind blowing, you know, like I love the YouTubers that blew my mind. Um, you know, I just look up to those guys so much like Vsauce, uh, but any of these advanced classes, you know, if you really go into biochemistry <laughs> and if, you know, if you take a, a college level class, like a serious class on biochemistry. Uh, what I took away from that is it's like unbelievably complicated and we really, we really don't know what's going on. You know, we have these, we, we say there's like the Krebs process and we, and we say all these things, but you know, I, I've seen how they got the information. Um, 
and it's a lot of it's just kind of a guess, right? And and just trying to fill, you know, you're looking at just it's what I've argued in my last video. You know, I think we're physically looking into other dimensions, so it's it's not so easy. Um, uh, yeah, and we're we're definitely going to get to that last video in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's funny you mentioned about uh, like physics class. I, I mentioned online recently, but. I, growing up, always had the intention of taking physics, having an interest in space and all that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't have been particularly good. I wasn't gifted gifted mathematically, and you, I think you kind of have to be, especially from a physics point of view. I ended up just taking chemistry because it sounded more fun than biology. But the reason I didn't take physics was I, I got to what you would call high school. It's secondary school in the UK or, or Scotland. And um, we got like a tester class where you go in for an hour and the teacher essentially, essentially gets to pitch the the class to you and i remember he was a star trek geek and he was telling us all this stuff and it sounded great and he turned around to the class and this one moment changed the course of my education where he said <laughs> you know it's children like you who will grow up to be the scientists of the future who are going to redirect asteroids and comets heading towards the earth and he, yeah. he mentioned this one and i just remember thinking that sounds like a lot of responsibility that oh, I don't no. necessarily want. <laughs> I went and, the other way. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, and do you know what? That's what, I was, yeah. that's what I was going. I was like, yeah, that's that's not for me. Someone else can deal with that. I am not dealing with some Bruce Willis Armageddon level stuff here. So um, I think I made the right choice and now a podcast. And, but you've and never been well. presented with the question fully, you know. You know. Uh, well, I, d- I disagree, actually, Andy. Um, I think that, you know, the only reason, like, smarter people are are smarter um is they just think about it more and more and more, you know it's um it's like any muscle uh, you know i think most people just think about their sports team you know or trading money or you know they're just not uh, they're not just practicing focusing on uh processing cuz it's difficult right I, you know when i i remember my first physics class man it's it's extremely hard and we had uh, <laughs> This lady, you know, let's call her Mrs. Smith, you know, you know, <laughs> big, big lady, thick glasses. Um, and she would sit up there on this, you know, projector, you know, where they had the grease projectors. Did you have those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but she was so cool and she would just like blow your mind with these physics, you know, these physics proofs, you know, very simple, uh, but very complicated, actually, you know, force equals MA. You, I mean, those things are not... It's not so intuitive when you really get into the the vector math and and all that stuff. Um, but I, I think it's kind of a disservice when uh, when people say I don't have the aptitude, you know, or, or don't don't think they have the aptitude. And I would say, well, have you tried? You know, um, you, you can see a lot of your edu- yeah, you can see a lot of your education that that's reflected in obviously what you went on to do as a pilot, and not just anyone can become a pilot. And we've heard a lot recently about trained observers and how highly skilled pilots are which which seems a bit obvious but it's it's true um you you are highly skilled it's not just a case of here's a test you pass it you get to be a pilot there's a lot of people go for these and it's it narrows down to a very small field and these people get to go and fly very expensive very expensive aircraft um as as an f-16 pilot though what sort of things were you doing because were you um in foreign countries was it missions is it as, as a layman, I, I would like to know what it was you done on an F-16. Yeah, you know, um, you know, how do you know a fighter pilot's at the party? You know, he'll tell you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would say that I had an amazing career, really did. Uh, you know, one of the reasons is I wanted to, like I said, a different life, uh, a challenging life. Um, and so 
and one that you get to travel around. I really like traveling. I love seeing different points of view, um, different cultures. So I really had a, a, a varied, um, a varied career where I, I was really outside of the U S most of the time, to be honest, you know, um, my first career, my, I was trained in, uh, Phoenix and that's where I met my wife. Uh, and then we, I moved to South Korea. That was my first assignment uh, for a year. And then I met her in Italy. So got to fly in Italy. And that, those are really just that first year in South Korea. And then the next three years in Italy, those are really my only like operational, fighting tours, you know, where you actually would go out from there. I actually went deployed from Italy to Iraq in 2005 uh, and did like a five month tour there. Um, and so that's my only one and only really combat to deployment. You know, you, after that I went to Alaska and then from then on, it was basically training. You know, I really, I, I just didn't uh, agree with all the, with, with the way the wars were, we're going. I didn't believe that going there and, and, sh- and shooting people or blowing them up would really fix anything or s- solve any issues. Uh, you know, you, when I was there, you, you definitely, you, there's a motivation. You really want to, you want to help, you know, you really want to win. You don't want all of this to have been for nothing. Um, and you go there and you try really hard, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, what are we really doing? We're just blowing stuff up. You know, if you're going to raid people's houses with helicopters and punch through the front door, you know, are you really going to build a, whatever you're trying to build a democracy in a foreign country? So I don't know. I, I just thought, um, it wasn't really what I was interested in. You know, I, I, I was, I thought it'd be more advanced, you know, like protecting, uh, Europe. I really, I liked the NATO. Um, I love NATO. You know, I, I believe that like keeping Russia, okay. At bay. All right. This dictatorship right on the East, which took over Crimea essentially, um, I think that is where we should be focusing our energy. Um, I also don't even agree that we should be picking this giant, this fight with, with China. You know, I, I think ideologically it's not necessary. I don't know if it's even required, but I see this put, you know, there's getting pushed from, from in the militaries, you know, uh, and I don't know where it's coming from, but we don't have to fight with China. You know, they're like our biggest trading partner. So why would we pick this giant war with our biggest trading partner? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessary and I don't think they necessarily have the same imperialistic views historically, you know, China has been around for like 7,000 years or how many thousand years, uh, they built a giant wall, you know, to keep everybody out. I don't know if, if it's necessarily like, you know, the red wall is just going to come and clean everybody over, you know, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Guess, yeah. No, no, that's, I, that's I digress into, into controversial, uh, world politics. Um, but so anyway, uh, but I really liked, uh, training, I thought it was awesome. I loved working with with the people. I loved preparing them uh, to be more survivable uh, and more capable um, in combat. You know, to to preparing our guys essentially. Um, and then finally, I was just lucky. They kept offering me amazing assignments, uh, and I got to go to Turkey. So I went and learned Turkish for a year at, in uh, Defense Language Institute. It's in Monterey. Uh, that was after Alaska, uh, and that was just unbelievable. Um, amazing teachers. You know, they just Every day it was like eight out, eight to ten hours of Turkish, uh, and they just you learn it, you learn the culture, uh, and then I went to Turkey and flew in this uh, in one of the squadrons for two and a half years. So I was just an instructor. They called me Hojam, you know, which means like uh, Hoja is like a guide or instructor in Turkish, um, and you know I, I played a lot of golf on this really terrible golf course, and I still hate golf and I'm terrible at it. Um, 
but that was an amazing experience. It's it's and it's unfortunate because that squadron I was in actually was like the center of the air part of the coup. And so I knew at least five of the guys that went, went to jail, you know, they all had like two year old girls. They all had daughters. Um, that's a fighter pod thing also. Um, yeah, great dudes, but they disappeared yeah, after that. So that was crazy assignment. Amazing. Uh, and then after, uh, Turkey, I went back to Phoenix. Um, and there I had my back crushed basically, uh, I, uh, herniated discs in my lower back that finally came to root. Um, I think all fighter pilots, at least that I know of, with rare exceptions, have either neck or back issues just from all the Gs. So, like, our seat is canted back. You know, the Viper is canted back like 30 degrees because uh, they couldn't fit it in, right? That's why they canted it back. Right, um, okay. Yeah, so I think we have mostly back issues, but the F-15 guys, you know, their seat's just straight up and down, uh, and I th- they mostly have neck issues, you know. But usually it's it's kind of a combination. Um, so in Phoenix, I was kind of down. That's the that's the where we do the initial basic training. Uh, but there, it was really exciting. I got into simulators, so uh, I was lucky enough to run the simulator contract uh, for two years. And so basically, I was able to get into the software, how we uh, make simulators, how how you uh, how you come up with line items, you know, how you're going to slowly improve them, uh, and then you do all the maintenance. Um, and we came up with some pretty, pretty cool programs uh, to train people. Uh, I think novel. Um, yeah, it was, it was, that was a great. I've, the proudest I was, I, probably the, the coolest thing I did, um, or single thing, was at that base, uh, the F thirty fives. You know, that's a training base as well as the F sixteens. Um, but the F thirty fives, you need someone to train against, right? You need someone in the air, ideally. Uh, to practice, to be that red, we call it the red air, right? You got blue air as our team, and then you need someone in the air on the other team uh, to practice that red air. And so I, I really love that mission. That's where I analyzed um, all the bad guys, uh, uh, what their systems could do. I went into the the NSA, uh, uh, sorry, I went into um, NASIC, not the NSA, uh, went to CIA. I got to go to all these cool places. Um, and you really get into the mind of what is the enemy? What can they do? What are they capable of? And how do their systems work? And then you pretend to be those guys as the uh, red air, right? To train our guys. You're like the uh, the practice squad. Uh, but the better the practice squad is, the better the team is, right? So that's why I really enjoyed that uh, uh, that as well. But at the, at um, at Luke, uh, what we were able to do is in s- the problem was they were running out of um, tr- planes to to fight against, so they were stealing F-16 lines. <laughs> so they're cannibalizing from the F-16 training. Um, which was really hurting because everybody's hurting. No one has fighter pilots around the world. They all, at least in the West, uh, they've all basically uh, run. Um, but then, so basically what we were able to do is use the Link 16, that data link network, uh, and pretend to make it look like a real aircraft. Um, so basically populate a link on the a track on the link and fly it around. So actually train the F-35 guys. I mean, it doesn't work um, it, you know, it, it helps in like one little sliver, <laughs> uh, but I, I was very happy with it because it, it was free and we were able to use uh, equipment that we already had. Um, and, and what it was is it was um, the issue holding it back was an operational problem. It wasn't like it wasn't because of money. I, I guess people always say it's money. You know, they ran out of funding. Um, but like this guy called me. It's called LVC. They tried to implement this program where we actually train with simulators uh, with live aircraft. Um, but they can't get to it, right? It's difficult to get to the final solution. 
So they call me and they're like, well, what if I gave you this random guy? What if I gave you $10 million, you know, like, like the government? I think he was just spitballing, but they had obviously $10 million to put around. And I was like, I can do nothing with it, you know, nothing. Um, he's like, well, what do you need? I'm like, I need you just to use what, what we have, you know, just use it. Um, I don't know. I, I heard that it's still going on. But anyway, long discussion on that. So. No, 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 that's fine. And like, that's, you've just retired in 2020, haven't you? So that's, that's spanning, what, 15, 20 years career there you, you've, you've talked about? Uh, 20 years. Yeah. The, the, just the final one was the tactical leadership program in uh, NATO. Uh, and, and that was, that was really the, the capstone. So enjoyable. You know, all the fighters coming from around NATO, uh, the, the countries that are involved, you know, UK, um, we got less fighters, you know, as your money dwindled. Um, but, working with all the nations as well, right? So they bring in, they come together as a team with their planes and their maintainers uh, for three weeks. And then they fly with the same people every day in this, uh, in this course that we built. Uh, and it's excellent program. It, it was amazing. So th- that was really the capstone. And that's what got us back to Europe. So we were living in Spain on the last assignment and just love Europe, love how, um, how laid back it is. I think it's really focused more on a, on a level playing field um, you know, there, there is really high taxes, but you know, also the, the, the poor people is, is it, there's much less as well. You know, I think it just, it just cuts off the top and the bottom, you know, of, uh, uh, of society. So we, we looked around and we really like, um, Portugal. Uh, it was, we were either going to live in Spain or Portugal and then just decided on Portugal. It's, people are so friendly and they're welcoming to outsiders. Yeah, no, that's awesome. amazing surfing. Yeah. Th- that time frame you're talking about, we know now that obviously in 2004, there was the incident with the Princeton and Nimitz and 2015, 2019, and there's been all these other incidents. Was there ever anything you heard of in, in your time in that 20 years? And it might just be a no to do with UFOs, no. UAP. It just was it ever talked about in the military from a, a European point of view? No. Nothing? I, just I, Yeah, we just never talked about it. I mean... Yeah, I and, and, and all that—that's yeah. that's fine. And I, I wonder that because that's interesting. That so these these things are happening, these these events, these incidents, and these pilots are going up. David Fravor seeing what he's seeing, and Alex Dietrich, and all of these other people, Ryan Graves, and it just goes. It, it doesn't really travel that way. Well, you think it's quite an interesting conversation, but it <laughs> yeah. stays pretty isolated, um, which is which is pretty cool to know. At what point during this time? Was there still no interest in UFOs from you? And did that sort of happen afterwards? Yeah, so I guess I, I didn't finish earlier, but um, so I I focused on physics and chemistry. And really the main argument is the universe is just so, so large, right? And we cannot travel faster than light. Nothing could travel faster than light. So even if there is alien life out there, um, as soon as it even heard about it or got any signals from us, electromagnetic signals, by the time they actually got here, it would be hundreds of thousands or millions of years in the future, right? That was basically the, the assumption I had. And, you know, all the the physicists that I that I read, you know, I read like Stephen Hawking. I read uh, uh, several of his works on black holes. Um, I, I read all of the major physics or physicists, you know, the mainstream physics, you know, even like Carl Sagan wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't think there was any uh, alien life, at least not on, not on Earth. Um, so I just, I assumed that was it, you know, these are the smartest people we have according to, to my thoughts. Um, and this is their wheelhouse and they obviously have studied this their whole lives. So I'm guess, guessing they're correct. 
and that's a fair assumption and i think that's why I, I, we still call it stigma but the general public look at so many people like neil degrasse tyson professor brian cox name any other sort of you know high profile scientist bill nye the science guy they generally talk down ridicule or don't go into the discussion on alien life and the general consensus from these people tends to be no matter what sort of show they're on is they're probably as alien life but it's never been here we haven't found it it's not visiting us it's way way off in the cosmos somewhere and for most people that's enough but then there's people like us who now have these podcasts and always want to know more and obviously we're going to get to the point where your most recent youtube video was a really interesting 37 minute you know, monologue almost, which is obviously came full <laughs> yeah. circle from from where you were previously. So let's talk about the the YouTube channel and how that got started. Yes, um, so I started creating, uh, like I said in the in that last video. You know, um, I don't I don't know why I started creating until just maybe this year. You know, a guy here asked because I retired and I'm hanging out with like there's an awesome expat community here. You know, so I immediately made all these awesome friends um, and. And one of the guys asked me, you know, he's also retired. Why, <laughs> you know, why did you, why the YouTube channel or why the books? You know, cause at that time I was writing a book actually about the time I was in Iraq. Uh, I wrote that the first six months I retired. Um, he's, but he's like, why? And I, and I went to give an answer, you know, to like reach for this answer and give it to him. And I was like, there's not a good answer. Like, I don't know actually why. And so, well, I, I love to surf, you know, so I was like, just for like a month, you know, I'm like sitting out there <laughs> waiting for a board, you know, I try and surf a, a couple times a week just for fitness, you know. Um, and I just remember sitting out there and just like staring, like, why do I do this? You know, it's like hours a day, uh, you know, just sitting there, especially writing a book, man, just so painful. It's like two hours a day, you know, just only you, there's no one to bounce any ideas off or anything. Um, but I, I just did it every day. I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess I learned that from, from Brandon Carter, you know, that guy I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and can I just ask Chris the, the books, yeah. because people might be looking going, Oh, Chris Leto's written UFO books. They're not, it's fitness yeah. and crypto. Yeah. Originally I wanted to, I think I wanted to write the video that I released last, last, my last video. That's what I wanted to write somehow. I wanted to, I didn't have the full idea in my brain. Um, but I was like, maybe I'll start writing, writing science fiction, you know, I'll write like a science fiction. Um, and then I'll somehow explain that the worlds are interrelated or they can like jump through dimensions or something. Um, and then I tried writing science fiction and I was fiction. I was like, I cannot do this. You know, I, <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't even actually try. That's the problem. You know, once you can start writing something, maybe, maybe it would work. It's all practice and editing. Um, and so the only thing I could write is, uh, stay on target. And that's really, I, I, I watched Brandon Carter and all of his things were just do it every day, right? The, the neuron passageway, the reason why you get addicted to things is, you know, once you get that thought, uh, it goes through your neural passageway, right? The first time. But when you have it again, it, it actually thickens the neurons. You know, this is according to a video I remember back in 2014 from Brandon Carter. Um, it actually thickens the neurons. So each time you, you think that or do that action, it's easier, right? That's why it's so easy to like brush your teeth, right? Or people that work out all the time, it's so much easier um, just because that that neural pathway, um, you know, is being being thickened. So that was really his, uh, and I am proud of the science actually. And that, that there is some cool science I, I like in, in Stay on Target. Um, it's just, there's so much in that book. It's just so many theories packed in. Uh, 
And ultimately, I wanted I made it as a fitness book because that's what I was doing at the time, and that's what I could focus on. Um, so it's called Stay on Target: Use Fighter Pilot Techniques to Get and Stay in Shape uh, from 2015. Um, and then in 2017, I wrote Military Millionaire. Uh, and really, the reason for that was to help or try and show these young like airmen, <laughs> like you you can be rich, like you can do it, like you can become financially independent. Uh, but you have to change your behavior that you're doing right now. You know, like you have to focus on these things, saving, learning about interest, learning how to buy a home, you know? So, uh, I felt that was the be- the easiest thing I could say that I, f- I felt had the most visible proof, you know, from my own life, you know, I was able to, I stayed on target, you know, if you will, and really worked out, um, a certain way, kind of using a scientific method. And it worked. And then I did military finance, you know, I did financial uh, planning, if you will. I learned from the Air Force Academy instructors uh, and it worked. You know, I was able to, to retire uh, at 43. Um, so I wrote those books. Uh, but ultimately, it's about this last, <laughs> last, last video is why I started, why I started writing. Uh, this next book is very, it's a hard book. It's, uh, it was about my memoirs in, in Iraq. So basically five months uh, called The Ghost of Mortar Ali. Um, and I, I still don't even know if this guy was like real, um, but he was basically this supposed Iraqi general. He was an artillery general um, for Saddam. This is the rumor. <laughs> and then after the war, he still made it. And now he he's, he was traveling around Iraq, increasing the mortar strike accuracy uh, at certain bases. This was this guy, Mortar Ali, right? It made, it, Intel said he existed. Um, and so he also the guy lived right off base, like literally like across the fence from the, <laughs> from us, you know? Uh, and, and, and they would search his house and probably just harass this guy. Uh, but they could never find him like in the act, you know, of, of mortaring the base or whatever. Um, so it's kind of my interactions with this guy. We, you know, we, we got some mortar shot at us and then, uh, blowing up, a, you know, like a truck. Um, yeah. So those are the, those are the three books I'll release. Go to ghost of mortar Ali. Um, when I can get around to maybe I need to do a final edit. And the longer you wait, uh, the longer you wait between your final manuscript. And then when you actually go to do your book, supposedly it's better. So it's just a perfect excuse to procrastinate. I I still find it really interesting that, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about all this stuff and it's bringing us right up to now. And only recently still, you've you've really got into the ufo subject it was in May. this this is where you've yeah this is where you've taken off though isn't it like and it must be is it surprising that this is just kind of blown up the way it has undoubtedly yeah without a doubt you know because i I had my plan you know so my so to actually get into finally uh the youtubing is you know obviously i have three kids and they love youtube you know and we play video games and we watch people play video games uh you know and and they've said, I want to be YouTubers when I grow up. You know, I asked him, what do you want to be? One of them said astronaut. I was like, sweet, you know, but then all of them said YouTuber, you know, and as soon as one says YouTuber, they're all like, yeah, yeah, YouTuber. Um, and so I was like, I, I, you know, I can do that. You know, uh, all you need is just start publishing videos. Right. And, and so that, that kind of took off and, and actually it only took off cause they talk so much trash. You know, I have, uh, my kids were just like, dad, where's the YouTube channel? You know, and now every time I walk in and they're watching YouTube, they're like, what about you, dad? You said you were going to start, <laughs> start a YouTube channel. Uh, so finally I just started making videos once a week. You know, that, that was it. Like I made a pact with myself. I'm going to release a video uh, once a week. And it was on anything I was interested in, which was awesome. You know, um, no one watched the video or very few, right? hundred, maybe a couple hundred views um, at the most. 
Uh, but I was really into crypto uh, and new technology. You know, I love I love Elon Musk. I love Tesla. I love all the amazing things they've been able to do. And they're focused on sustainability uh, and renewability, you know, basically um, renaturing the world if we can. Um, so I started focused on that. And then I got into uh, crypto and non-fungible tokens, which was, I think, is just amazing technology. It's going to change the world for sure. Yeah. But again, that was only a hundred. I had uh, so you need a thousand subscribers to get monetized. Right. Yeah. Um, and so after eight, after seven months, I was at 643, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'll get there at, after I make 55 videos, you know, I thought it'd be, I was hoping for 35. That was like in think media, you know, they're like make 35 videos and you make it, um, yeah. it'll make it above a thousand, you know, and I was at like 30, I was at 34 <laughs> actually, uh, I think the 35th video was the one that actually, uh, you know, whatever went viral, if you will. And uh, w- was that the the Mick West video where you were talking about his? Well, I'll I'll, I'll let, you, let you talk about how you came across the the Mick West stuff and yeah. why you felt so passionately about it that you wanted to kind of come back on that. Well, yeah, well, it did it did uh, start the channel to be honest. Because I made a video before that on the three videos, you know, um, where I couldn't believe it. And that's where really I, I just couldn't deny it anymore. You know, I saw the videos in uh, 20, uh, the end of last year in November, I think is when I actually, I like just came up and I was like, I saw the Lex Fridman um, and then Fravor interview, the Lex Fridman Fravor interview. Yeah. And I listened to it straight through, you know, until like 2 a.m., uh, and then I just like sat there, you know, with my eyes open <laughs> and I told everybody, you know, my parents, I'm like, there's aliens, you know? And, and, and they were like, you know, they just look at you like crazy. And so I was like, maybe there's not aliens, you know, or, uh, my wife's like, yeah, I knew, of course, you know, it didn't phase her at all. Um, but then I didn't really believe it. You know, I kind of just, I was like, oh, I'll ignore it. I didn't put it, think about making YouTube videos about it or anything, you know, life just kind of went on. I did walk around kind of looking around up, up weirdly, but uh, it wasn't until the 60 minutes came out, you know, and I guess maybe that's just, you need something like that, like some mainstream event. So 60 minutes is on there. I see Fravor again talking and now uh, Dietrich is there, you know, so there's somebody else. Uh, and I was like, okay, it's, it's gotta be legit. And then that's the first really I'd, I'd ever seen Lou Elizondo. I just hadn't heard of him, you know, um, and that's when I saw his statement on what ATIP, you know, what they were seeing, what all these craft could do. And yeah, so that from there, I made the video uh, about those three, three UIP videos. Um, but then it, it, a few people saw it as well. Uh, but I met a buddy here, uh, this guy, Barry, he's from the UK. Great, great dude. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah. Hey, man, uh, I've been checking that out. You know, there's a this guy said it's not true. You know, it's it's uh it's just a goose or something. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's a goose. This dude says it, you know? So he pointed it out and I was like, a goose? Like, how is that a goose? You know? uh, and I was like, okay, it can't be a goose, you know? And then I go and I started watching videos, you know, and just spiraled up. And then I made the video and that that pretty much, uh, that hit for whatever reason. I, well, I, I know there's a lot of frustration in just the community about Mick West. And, and so the people shared it, you know? Now you've talked about your background and your experience through school and and college and the training that's gone into it how many what sort of hours or what numbers can you put on how much training you do to get to a level where you know what you're talking about and you probably (laughs) know where i'm going with this 
I guess know what I talk what what you're talking about. It's funny because I was a safety officer, you know, and there's basically like you can you can see where the most accidents happen in a pilot's uh, career, um, and it's basically like um, it's at a hundred hours because they really just don't know anything, you know, so they they're just dangerous, you know, because they physically don't know what they what they need to know, uh, and th- but then it goes back down, right? The accidents, and and then they're they're better, uh, quite good until they get to a thousand hours. And then the rate climbs back up, right? And then and then it goes back down at a thousand hours. A thousand hours is maybe like you know it depends eight seven to ten years of flying. Um, so at that point they start thinking they know what they know what they <laughs> what they they think they're they know everything. Cocky. Yeah, they're getting cocky. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you can see it. That, you know, there's st- well, and you you need people to lead, right? We need people to lead. You know, eight eight aircraft around. Tell them where to go. It's all like these plays. You know, you're basically making intricate tactical plays. If you can imagine, it's more like American football. You know, you have, an, yeah. you have a play, and everyone's going to execute it. And then you have these audibles. Um, so you do need someone to lead. But the problem is, then they start thinking they know everything. Um, so you do get a, a spike again in accidents. And then once they realize, oh shit, you know, they have some scare or something happens, <laughs> they realize they're not. Uh, you know, that they are. Uh, fatal or, you know, not mortal. Uh, and then it goes back down. Right. So after that, after a thousand hours, um, so probably after a thousand hours, they really know what they're talking about. Is what I would say. <laughs> once they get to that second scare when, you know, once they're like, Oh, they don't die, you know, and then they make it through, uh, it's like a filter. And then they get to the, after that. So that, that's, that's quite a long time. And, and you've got people out there. It's well documented. Um, Mick worked on Tony Hawk's video game that was his that was his background and listen let's even talk about people like myself who clearly has an interest in ufos i want every video or picture i see to be of some sort of exotic spacecraft not from here or from here but not human and it's just not the case i like to pride myself on at least being able to look at something and go that's a balloon that's something else but i still don't tend to know what i'm looking at so just just yesterday i retweet a video and it was very quickly a few people got in touch and said, actually, it's a drone. But it did look, just to me in a very untrained eye, it doesn't look CGI. It looks like something's there. It's pretty low down. It's a big circle. So, yeah, someone tell me why this is fake. And I ask experts to kind of come back on this kind of stuff. And I'm, it's amazing the community does get in touch really quickly and is is great to kind of, here's why it's this, here's why it's not this. But you get experts like yourself who can tell you to a very, very good degree of accuracy. Like I watched on your, your your recent video where you can tell just by the angle of something, if you've got two points, you can tell the height, the distance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and then you've got complete amateurs like myself or others online trying to tell, no, this is why this is a spaceship from this planet or here's why it's traveling at this speed or here's why it's just a camera artifact. Does that frustrate I, I would... you? I was just going to say that as, as much as we loved uh, Tony Hawk's growing up, there, there were plenty of bugs in the physics that I exploited for big <laughs> multipliers. So, you know, the physics aren't perfect in that uh, game. That's a good one. I, I did actually enjoy that game as well, yeah. And I, I used to like being able to defy gravity and go up. The Area 51 level was really good as well. I always played 720. I don't. Did you guys have that game at your... Uh... Local Dairy Queen? Uh, I'm probably older, I guess. Uh, there's, there's no Dairy Queens in the UK. <laughs> yeah, there's an equivalent or something. I, I want them, though. They sound fun. Yeah, I don't... Um, I think that's the problem, right? That everything comes down to... 
evidence. I mean, every in, every debate I've had with uh, Mick West, even if I show it's completely bogus, all of his points, you know, we still have to say at the end we need more evidence because <laughs> you, you can't you can't do much with one video. And at the end of the day, you know, it could be ultimately fake. Like you know, it could. I, I don't think it is. Like I think it's legit, um, but it could be. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a plan, a, a few plans actually to get more evidence. Uh, I think the first thing is we can just start doing a better job of uh, recording them. You know, if we can, uh, I had a subscriber, this guy, Nigel, you know, he, he wrote on one of the comments and he's like, Hey, I've, I videoed a UFO, you know, what should I do with it? You know? And I was like, uh, we'll put the video on YouTube. Maybe just give like, you know, date it happened where, if you can, uh, I don't even know if I, I said that. So anyway, he made this awesome video where it's him capturing this UFO and and in the in UK, uh, and then he you know films the clock, uh, and then tries to give a, a rough uh, location of it. Uh, but like for these UFOs that are that are stopping, you know, you hear a lot of them are just sitting there, not doing anything. If it's just sitting there for like five minutes, like with Dave Falch, uh, and we got a couple people. Gee, all you need is two two different people like, like you were kind of talking about, um, now we can triangulate it. Uh, and then if we can get, you know, more of them, all you really need is two, but, but the more you get, the better ultimately. So now we could actually get some real data, like actually scientific data instead of just, you know, I saw a video on there and it looked like a drone and then people go and say, it's not, you know, we could say, okay, we, Nigel released this video on last Saturday at, uh, this time over London. You know, did anyone else see something that looks like this and video it? Uh, and then now you just, it, it actually really is to upload, easy to upload on YouTube. So you just upload it on YouTube. And then if you, you know, it's very easy to access it for all of us. You know, I can just go to YouTube and copy it uh, or video it, and then we can analyze it, et cetera. So just getting evidence right there is one way to do it. Plus it's fun, right? I'm going to have Nigel, hopefully I'll talk him into ha having him on uh the disclosure. So disclosure with uh, Vinny, Vinny Adams on Saturday. Yeah. I'm, I want to get Nigel on there. He's kind of nervous, but I'm like, come on, man. Like uh, explain it. I think it's cool. So I think just get more people involved. So that, that would be one way. It's just build up our, our, the evidence we can get now. Uh, and I think that is the strength of YouTube. You know, it's, it's been called web 2.0. It's kind of how I've heard of YouTube. Uh, web 1.0 is like the, um, the dial-up stuff you have, you're basically going through a service, you know, you're going through AOL and now they're going to email stuff. Um, so basically we're, we were just going there to, to get information essentially it was web 1.0 and now web 2.0 is like the YouTube phenomena. So essentially there's no one in between me and you know, you, okay. If, if, if you're a fan, there's no one in between me and you really essentially, you know, I write direct to you on YouTube, uh, I post videos. There's nothing really stopping me from posting videos. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's what we're kind of doing is building this this large neural network now. Uh, and so I think people like Mick West and people even, you know, like amateur astronomers or whatever, if they can find a, a good point, like, you know, you need that red team, right? Like I mentioned before, like the better the red team is, the better the blue team. So, I mean, I would appreciate if the red team was a little better, you know, I guess, or, or took, took it serious, more serious about, um, finding the actual truth. I'm not sure. Maybe that is, maybe that is the aim. I'm, I'm not sure actually, you know, I've, I've liked all my interactions personally with Mick West. Actually, he was professional. He, he set a very good stream. 
you know, personally, I have no issues. And, and that's, I'm going to treat that way with everybody, you know, whatever their background is or what other people think of them, I'm going to give them a chance. And then, and then if they, you know, they screw, screw me over or whatever, then, <laughs> then I, I, wanna, and, I won't give them another chance. You know, I'm not going for revenge or anything. But, and that's, but, that's the way to do it, Chris. Like I've said on this podcast before, Mick's a really intelligent guy and some yeah. of the work he done on, on various different um, other campaigns, shall we say, uh, was really good and really interesting. Um, and I, I completely understand that both himself and other debunkers, they can recreate certain scenarios pretty accurately, but that doesn't, prove or disprove another piece of video it just shows you that you can make something look like something else it's almost like look i could create this as a hoax if i wanted that's that's great you're not you're not showing me that what's on that navy video isn't something a little bit more exotic than than our best technology but like you say maybe it is something more explainable but we just can't do that right now and can i just add chris you know when you talk about those those youtube videos I, I love people send me them all the time and they'll ask me and I always send them on for other people to check out who are more analytical than myself. I see these videos and it's the ones where there's just something in the sky that you've got a camera phone and it's great your camera phone's 8K, but it's still filming an object however far away it is. You've shot nothing of the ground. There's no point of context for it. Mm. And you've cut it off before it's left. It's just an object sitting in the sky or floating along. And the amount of times people put on a video and say, we saw this object, it sat there for this long, and then it shot off really quickly. Yes. But you, you've got a three-minute video of what you're telling me is a five or ten-minute experience. So straight away, I'm sorry, but no matter how good that three minutes of that object sitting is, I just totally disregard it because you're never going to, or you shouldn't really ever be able to film a UAP or UFO arriving because they're just there or they come into view really quickly. It would have to be pure happenstance or circumstance. You're filming that point in the sky or the sea, you know, if they're under the water. But what you can do is film it leaving. And that for me is always a frustration because especially in the fake videos, when the object moves, it tends to give away quite a lot of the the ropey CGI if they are indeed false. Is it possible to even prove something's not a deep fake i mean is it possible i i you know, think it goes towards your what you were talking about with triangulation you know if you could almost put something orbiting the earth that would give you that second point when you're on the ground with a camera it would be it would be awesome um but feels like a lead-in dan I yeah it lead-in. is i'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> queuing you up so uh take it away do, do you have any ideas there okay yes yeah, so there's a few so that is the i i you bring up a good point, Andy, and, and what you're talking about is that operational, uh, you need that operational effect as well. Because um, everybody wants just the the iPhone that works, right? Of course, we all wanted the iPhone that just does everything and you push all the buttons. You know, you remember before, whatever, when it come out, 2004, I think, I look, look at that. Uh, before the iPhone, everybody was trying to make an iPhone, you know, the Palm Pilot. Uh, they had all these other devices. I remember I bought some some crappy one that that didn't really work, right? And they're all waiting for this perfect device, the iPhone. And that's exactly what was happening in the in the Air Force or the, all of the military, I think, is this live virtual training. My whole career, 20 years, they tried to implement it and they were not able to implement it after 20 years, right? 20, 20 years, like, what have you guys been doing? Uh, at least, I don't know. They didn't implement it at, at my level um, that I saw. And and like I said, you could do it easily with with 
the equipment we had, it, it took some serious effort by the, by the Lockheed contractors. They did excellent work and I, you know, whatever, uh, helped them and, and work with them. They were very dedicated, smart people, but still we were able to do that, uh, at no additional cost. And that's really through that operational thing. So you can really improve a lot of things by just doing what you mentioned there, Andy, like showing the ground, right? So they, you can see, like, I can get an estimate of how high up now. And so we can get an angle up, like you just mentioned. And if there's a, a landmark in the scene, that's even better. And then filming it for as long as possible. Like you said, in a date stamp, man, put like a, another cell phone in front just to get the time exactly, you know, cause we, we do need accurate time and that, and then that would help prove it better, you know? And so if you just had 30 people do that, you know, they can't deep fake all those and then link it to some, it, it would be almost harder to stop the deep fake than it is to, you know, to create the, the flying thing essentially. Uh, and the okay. only thing, yeah, uh, and just before you come back on Dan's point, um, the, the only thing for me to go the other way on that one is, if we are talking about something that's potentially non-human, it's really difficult to say what that would look like, given at the moment, as far as we know online, there is no 100% proven here as a non-human aircraft or spacecraft. Mm. We don't know that they wouldn't look a little bit fake or would move a little <laughs> bit jittery or, you know, with some of the poor CGI. There's There's every chance out there there's a really good 100% real video yeah. that we've all watched and totally dismissed as utter nonsense. It could be one of those ones where it's landed in the woods and three little beings walk up the ramp yeah. and you look and go, they're just floating across the grass. That's terrible CGI. That's like PlayStation 1 graphics and then it flies away and lo and behold, someone in the government sitting going, or Louis Elizondo himself could be sitting going, ah, oh, that's the one, That's that's the one that we should all be looking at. But we dismiss it because we still don't know what is what is right, and that's I suppose part of the the fun, the frustration, the the mystery, what we kind of like and hate about this subject all at once. And that's really why you need multiple angles, though, right? Because yeah, you know, it showed in my videos. If I know how big the the object is, then I can tell how far away it is. But these things, we have no idea, right? We can't. <laughs> you know, there's no, uh, there's no database that I know of anyway. Uh, and so, but if we get two angles now, we can approximate its location. And then now from there, we can determine its size. So that's, that's really important. I think the best would just the same thing. Look, look at, uh, uh, look at YouTube, you know, it's a, it's a giant neural network. That's why we're able to amass information so fast, you know, more data has a, uh, quality of its own. What is that? Uh, Mass has a quality of its own. So if you get a, a certain amount of data, right? I mentioned before, if it's over 30 points, now we can use statistical analysis, you know, to determine, could it be fake? You know, with 30 plus points, given these information, you could actually say with like mathematical certainty or not certainty, but close to mathematical certainty that it would be impossible to fake this, you know, but that we need more data. So I would say first thing is that like the easy kill, right? Uh, <laughs> is train people to do it better. Um, and then it would be on implementing better systems. So I've been working with Martin in Denmark. He's for Danish UAPR. Uh, and he's basically putting together a system um, with FLIR and prototyping it. Uh, so the idea, there's, there's a, there is a couple ideas, but the main idea is to fund whatever project we do with NFTs. 
that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course on twitter it's at ufo uapam and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue Consider your space, consider your life.